0: Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. Julian has been mining and scouting technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now, here's your host, Julian Blinn.
1: So, today we have the honor to interview again a group of sports performance experts. So, first we have Dr. Andy Barr, consultant for the Brooklyn Nets, the top NBA team. Andy is also the founder of Quentin Performance. So, welcome back, uh, Andy.
2: Thanks, Julian. Thanks for having me.
1: Great. Uh, and then we have uh, Alexi Pianozzi, the strengths and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, top NHL team. So, welcome back, uh, Alexi. Thanks for having me, Julian. Great, and then we also have uh, Dr. Derek Lawrence, the head of the league trainer for the U.S. men's national soccer team, so uh, welcome, Derek.
3: Appreciate it, Julian. Glad to finally make it to one of these.
1: Right, Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then we also have Dr. Marco Nunez, who's also the former head of the league trainer for the LA Lakers, so welcome back, uh, Marco.
4: Thank you to be here again.
1: Right, for this particular call, right? So what I want to talk to you today is first talk about the future wearables and sensors for sports performance. And then i love also to get your take on whether or not there is a correlation for teams between how much they spend on performance technologies and the performance of the teams, and also the reduction of injuries for those teams. And then I'd like to discuss with you guys what makes a great sports performance team. And then lastly, I'd love to talk about if you guys have ever come across some vendors that were over-promising but just couldn't deliver. How does it sound? Sounds good. Work for me. Right, so the first topic I want to discuss again is the future of wearables and sensors and what the future looks like. So first I'll just kind of give you my take what I'm seeing. So in the, the space of wearables, what I think the future for me looks like is what people call the contactless biosensors that can measure things like heart rate, uh, sleep quality, and even blood pressure without any contact to the skin. I used to work for an Israeli company many years ago. Were doing that. Also, another interesting area for me is smart patches, right? That can measure things like lactate, uh, glucose, electrolyte, and companies like SM24, Nix, Flobio. Uh, they focus on that. And then the last area I think, which is interesting, are things like smart fabric with sensors embedded into the fabric to measure uh motion capture right so there's companies like uh, next for example uh that has built a smart sleeve to do that so uh, what is your guy what is your take on all this the future wearables and sensors anybody wants to start
2: i mean i think it's like that's it that is the future right it's just they're getting more efficient smaller um easier to use more information more insight i mean i think just technology in it overall is just constantly improving and progressing and you know this the this is the the the, the age of collecting data so mm-hmm. you know the the sensors are a big part of that so i think they're going to be huge in the future and they're probably just going to get more efficient smaller and more impactful um and probably more invasive
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and are you more interested in specific sensors you can measure certain things like you know like lactate or <laughs> Do you think it's more an interesting area
2: or more interesting sensors? Me personally, I'm more interested in the, the motion capture sensors mm-hmm. um, and their capabilities just because that's more in my area of uh, expertise. But I think it's, you know, what a, a, they, they all add value. It's just what is the question that you're trying to answer and then what is the information you're trying to get, how you use them. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a tool. Um, and then it's how you interpret the information is the, the, the more important thing.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Thank
4: yeah. you. No, I, yeah, I, I agree with uh, with Andy and the part. I mean, what, what like you mentioned, it, it, sports science and all these technologies kind of kind of advancing. Like I said, everything's getting smaller, everything's getting lighter. They're providing more information. Not only not only that, but they're providing you at a, at a rapid rate in the information where before it used to be like you take the information, have to charge it, download it and then you can go ahead and interpret the information. Now it's like immediately, there's still some errors on the part, but it's becoming more and more like that, which I think it's great. Like from biomechanical point of view, as you're rehabbing or, or the athlete's moving, it's great to be able to see right on the spot as they're going in that part. Personally, I'm not a big fan of those um, physiological ones, especially the ones that aren't on the body. I don't quite still see how, I, I get it to like an algorithm, but if there's a camera yeah. from far away and it's telling me what my heart rate is and what my blood flow, is, like, really? But it ain't what it is. That's just, that's just my personal opinion on that part. Um, but yeah, but I'm more interested in, in the biomechanical movement. The only thing, other thing that I'm kind of concerned about is that it seems there's so much technology out there that it can get that muddle, can muddle the water, so to speak. And then at the end of the day, like, like Andy mentioned, it's also like, every team needs to kind of figure out, like, what do I need? What am I trying to figure out with this athlete versus just start? Hey, you know what vendors are coming my way. I'll take one of those. I'll take one of those. I'll take one of those, but no, no, sit down as a team, see what you need. What are you trying to accomplish? It may just be one thing at a time let's just go with this and then we and then we built on that
1: yeah thanks I think
5: that's a really good point i think the technology like andy said is going to keep getting better it's going to get more efficient it's going to get easier to use i think the real you know the real trick or the real gold is going to be in how people integrate those pieces together mm-hmm. and use them to answer questions i mean you look yeah. at some, uh, technology as simple as a force plate that spits out 60 different metrics or whatever and you know, you're not looking at all 60, you don't, you maybe need one or two. Yeah. But then if you're doing an ACL rehab or reconstruction or something like that, and you want to look at some of those force parameters, well, they might not be as useful if they're not paired with some kind of motion capture. So Mm -hmm. how do you integrate motion capture with force plate with, you know, so if you're going to add a new technology, whatever the sensor might be, how does that integrate into existing technologies you have to answer the questions you need to answer. So as we, I feel like as we continue to get new technology and we get better technology, more efficient technology, it's also going to open up even more possibilities that we then have to figure out, well, which, which road should I go down? Cause this technology mm-hmm. is going to take me down one of 40 different roads. And I need to know the one that's going to give me the best bang for my buck or answer the question that that's going to make the biggest difference for my player or my athlete. Yeah,
3: yeah that's, Good that's a big key component. There's the seamless integration of technology as it evolves and we're seeing now with the influx of all the different types of technology that companies are presenting us, the data that they can give us, and what they could actually do for us. But if we're bringing in five to six different technologies and we're only have and we're not adding any more bodies to our staff, that's where the biggest complications can come from. I still think that keeping a very sound fundamental process or protocol of how you're doing this and kind of going with Alexi said with you know the bang for your buck because we have to be efficient. We can't take all day we can't take and you know if we're not expanding our staffs as most people don't have that ability in some sports you know you don't have that you know capability to really hone in and say like okay i need you for 30 minutes you know every single day for like one person or something you know because i got to do this program this program i gotta look up this camera put you on this sensor it's just not going to work even though it could give you the most value in terms of the data that you can have to use but it's just Inefficiencies is what kills most of you know the daily life and for practitioners like myself or athletes because they're just going to lose interest if you're asking them to spend too much time and so. For me it's just seamless integration and does it add more to your workflow yes or no and that's where I think the bigger question is that. You know you start from kind of like going with Marcus said it's like going down sitting as a group and figuring out what's best for you, but the seamless integration is big for me.
4: Mm-hmm. And and then at the end of the day, you also have to get compliance from your clients or your athletes. If you don't have compliance, you know, some I've had people come over and they tell me, "Hey, this is this this one device is new technology is going to give you everything that you need to know." But if the player refuses to wear it, is it really going to give you anything? Or they or they're not cooperative with it, so to speak. So
1: yeah, yeah, and and I was
4: this, yeah. Which <laughs> what? We also have yeah. to very
5: critically appraise, I think, what the technology might not be telling us about yep. certain things. And things look really good. I get this metric and this parameter. And, you know, a, a great example I can give is just, you know, GPS or, or motion tracking in, in live games, NBA, you know, Premier League soccer, things like that. The same technology exists in hockey or in the NHL right now, but it's a little bit different on the ice. One and as a non-running-based sport, but also mm-hmm. if, I have a, if I have a player who's standing in front of the net, and their, you know, position is only changing by a few inches at a time, but they're pushing with all their strength to try mm-hmm. to move in front of the net. You know, the GPS, the load metrics is not going to quantify that, but I can tell you that guy's working very, very hard okay. for 20, 30 seconds, you know, an NFL lineman, kind of similar, you add in contact and, and what the and what the implications of that are. So as great as some of these load metrics are, it's, it's good to, to, to go down that path, but also recognize what aren't we getting? And then what, how big is that piece of the puzzle as well? And are we really missing something or, maybe it's not as significant as we thought or maybe it's more significant than we thought
2: i think it's more significant i think that's an amazing point i think that's one of <laughs> the biggest issues with sensors and the way that we base decisions purely on the data that we get as opposed to saying that this is just one small piece of an ingredient that will help us guide some decisions but there's just so much that we can't measure yet or we don't know about that we can't make assumptions on but you see so many decisions being driven by outputs of certain types of systems that yeah. are just a small piece of the puzzle. When if you start from more the game down and understand the context of the game, what the ingredients are of the game, then you start to understand the gaps of what the actual data is that you're getting just from that technology. Not that it's not useful. It's important because it can help you understand stuff. But like you say, in the the example you gave is a, is a great example of where you're not getting any real insight into something that's huge effort and huge load it's like well what is load there's like yeah. so many different types of load and the biggest yeah. load for me is psychological load because that drives yeah. you physiological and do we measure that not really how do we measure yeah. psychological fatigue from games hardly ever yeah. but that's what drives physiological that's yeah. why a training session yeah. load is not comparable comparative to a, a game load but Absolutely. we often make that comparison it's like oh you've done that enough that amount in training so you should be fine for a game well no <laughs> it's two different things. Huh? So it does it's not even equal
1: you know yeah. so anyway that's 100%. my thought on it
2: although that's yeah. a great yeah. point
1: Alex. Now, are you guys saying that maybe sometimes the the, the word was like the gps system they're not ad- adapted based on the sports right so for example no it- it's
2: the the practitioners don't know how to use it based on the game it's like it's not gps game it's the other way around mm-hmm. understand yeah. the game and where does that fit in because we've right. got like, okay there's minimal, there's not enough um, characteristics that are being measured and not enough um, load, understanding of the loads that the, the athletes have been exposed to that is being measured either for you to hang your hat on the GPS data. It's in, it's a, you should look at it for sure, but don't, it's not the, the you know, the be all and end all of the decision-making. It's just part of the context.
1: Absolutely. Right. And, you know, it's on the issue you guys mentioned. The last time we did a podcast, I quoted the study from Mississippi State. Uh, they studied NCA teams on the wearables that they were using. And uh, only 30% of those, oh, sorry, 30% of those NCA teams were not using the wearables every day. 70% were using them. But I think that's part of the issue with, you know, what you guys described, right? Doesn't fit into the workflow. Um, players don't want to use it. Uh, they don't trust the data, whatever, right? So that's, yep. Yep. that's a big number.
3: I would also question that research a little bit, too, because especially at the collegiate level, who's running the <laughs> system? You don't have a strength coach for every single team. Mm-hmm. You don't have sometimes you don't even have athletic trainers for every single team. So it's, are the coaches running it? Then you have to worry about, like, how accurate are they actually using it? Because they could just say, you know, within that study, do you use it? Well, yeah, we put it out there. Our players use it every single day. But are they actually using it for you what it's, more than it's, more? Than 30% it's supposed than to be, more, right? right? You think
1: it's one and percent? you
3: You're decision making.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, because you could be
5: you
2: could wear it. But... We have it. Look, we use it. It looks nice on my equipment.
0: Yeah,
3: I saw my guy ran you know seven thousand meters today before the match day. Okay, well, what are you doing about that? I'm just that that's more. Sense. That's more meters than they they ran last week. Okay, He's
5: sending records.
3: That's what we're doing. Yeah, seeing how much you can do.
5: And I'll, always put out more metrics, not less. So you are never in you never in a deficit of metrics usually. So that's
1: never an <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, good point. So, hey, the next topic I want to discuss uh, was, you know, is there a correlation, right, between how much the teams invest in technologies versus how the teams is performing and also the reduction of injuries, right? So, uh, I remember one time I was talking to somebody who mentioned that Inter Milan, top European soccer team, spent $5 million on a brand new training facility with the latest technologies, right? And yet that year the teams were not performing well. They just didn't, not playing well, right? So. And on the other hand, I work with, I mean, I know of a top European soccer team. Uh, They've been to the Champions League final many times. they play in La Liga. And those guys are using almost no technology. Their budget is tiny. They don't even have an AMS system. And yet, you know, which is kind of scary, right? Uh, As far as injury prevention. So uh, do you think there is a correlation between how much they spend and how well they are doing in the league or no?
2: No. It's got nothing to do with that. Yeah. Zero. So it's okay. the, the technology is a, a tool, right? The system, the coach, the organization, the players, the the people that they're working with, they're the ones that drive injury prevention. They use the tools to possibly help, but that's an adjunct. They're just an adjunct. If you have a bad system, then you're gonna get injuries, regardless of the technology that you have. Mm-hmm. So it's all about like that, that'll help measure it. And then, you know, that might help you understand your system so you can make changes if you're smart, but you know, it's that it's the system that is what is important. It's the culture, the philosophy, the integration, how they work together, how the organization decides who they're going to buy, how the coaches periodizes the program, how the strength coaches, physios, how they work together to create injury Mm -hmm. prevention programs, how they utilize the technology together to then make better decisions, to inform the coaching staff, to monitor fatigue, to monitor the things that might be of injury. But that's all the systems that are in place. It's got nothing to do with the tech itself. You can spend $20 million, $100 million on tech and still have the worst injury record in the league.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and 100% on the part, it, it, it's it's almost like, like you said, they spend so much money trying to get all these new technologies and, and make the facility look great. But if you're not using it properly, or you don't have the staff how to use it, or you're not implementing or like Annie said, if your team, just- sports medicine team is not in the same page, same philosophy, and then you, utilizing it together, it doesn't really matter. You can just have one technology, nice and simple, very basic, but if the whole team, the whole sports bench understands, you do the assessment, you're implementing, you're applying it, you're right, following it yeah. through. Exactly. That's all you need. And then the same things like when you use it, I remember when I was with the Lakers, we were thinking about getting motion cameras in our facility, which would have been awesome and great. But then the question was, well, if we're on a two week road trip and we're traveling, I need to reassess, need to reassess the player. Reassess the- what am I going to do? Am I going to fly back and go back and forth? So we ended up going with a, a, a wearable device called door Feet. Yes. It was based on, on an algorithm and I get it. It wasn't kind of like, like the, the camera system, but at least we were able to travel with it. It was less expensive and the whole team was able to utilize it. And the whole sportsman staff was able to utilize it, but we had a baseline and we kind of implemented type of thing. So it doesn't really matter. It's more, I guess, how you use it, so to speak, and how your team can, like Andy said, how your team is implementing it together. Yeah, definitely. Makes okay. Sense. Anybody
5: else want to comment on that or morning. To- I, I think there's also something to be said for how 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 the role of technology fits into the culture mm-hmm. of the organization mm-hmm. and how we, and why are you choosing to use technology period to solve what kinds of problems? and then how how is that uh, information sort of distributed onto the players in the sense that you know, a, a great example that I always love to use is, a lot of teams will collect HRV, you know, through a variety of, a variety of measurements. And, you know, when we, we've used it in the past with our players and one of our messages is always, you know, if you have a great HRV is really high or really low or it's above or, or below your norm, that doesn't mean you can't go out and have the best game of your life tonight. It might change the underlying physiology, you know, working in the background, but by no means is this going to determine your ceiling for tonight, how well you can play, how, you know, how much power or force you can produce tonight. That, you know, that doesn't connect to that. So if players are, you know, kind of taught to believe or or, or draw that correlation between all of the sports science and the testing and the metrics, then, you know, you might lose sight of or the team or organizational culture might lose sight of, you know, how the games are won and what you've done in the past to be successful and what makes your players great players or, you know, what makes this individual a great, a great teammate or a leader. And those things kind of get lost when you start to focus a little bit more on the minutiae, the technology and the science and the application and less on how is this going to yeah. impact our winning culture for lack of yeah. a better term.
1: Definitely
3: makes sense. Makes sense. Um, yeah,
1: Derek, so, do you want to mention something?
3: Yeah. Just kind of going back to, you know, Marco's point. I think on the previous topic was just buy-in on the sports technologies. And so, you know, you brought up Inter Milan and, you know, just are the players bought into it? Are they doing it properly? Cause that's the other thing that you see. Some players will go through the motions and you know do what you're asking of them but with minimal effort so is that giving you the best data to actually help them right you know and that that's always the biggest thing is we can collect a bunch of data but how actionable is it and then you know how accurate is it you know going back to like gps systems or the motion sensor technology but even as simple as you know questionnaires i remember years ago where questionnaires were like this big thing let's have these like 10 12 question you know welcome you know uh, application, we walk into the locker room, you know, how'd you sleep? How'd you stress? How many hours? You, one of the funniest ones that I always laugh at was how many hours did you sleep? People don't know how many hours I slept. And so they actually get like an, you know, more of an accurate like sleep tracker. But we're obsessed with trying to collect all this data of subjective uh, data from the players. But then you look over time and 50% of your squad's putting the same question every or same answer every single time. So again, you're collecting data, but is it efficient is it being useful and can you do anything from it more than likely not and so that's why it's a big thing of like you can have all this great technology but if the buy-in isn't there it's just it's worthless and so that's one of the harder things and it goes back to my original response of, of like your seamless integration and just making sure that everyone uses it and then making sure that everyone knows what's the benefit of it
1: yeah that's a good point um and actually, I, I remember one time hearing a story about Barcelona, right? They were trying to get, they actually build an application for the players, Messi and the rest of the team. And I think they ended up in that app, making it kind of a gamification, right? So they were competing about, it uh, was about, you know, the guy who was going to park into the, the parking lot the fastest or whatever. I just thought it was kind of a funny story, but they just found a way to make it more engaging so that the players could actually use it. So, and they were using it more that way because there was something for them. They were just, you know, they, were, they just stuff to compete. So uh, the next question I want to talk to you about is, obviously you guys have worked with many, many teams, right? Uh, different managers, different colleagues, different culture. So what makes a great uh, performance team, right? Is it a matter of having the people who have skills that complement each other? Maybe they, they have a great manager, maybe there's great communication between the staff members, or maybe it's everything. So what makes a great performance team?
2: I, I always say that I'd rather work with great people than great practitioners. It's like the personality is that you don't want like all superstars in your department. You want, you need a balance of everything. So for me, it's having a team behind the team and you know, you need obviously a certain level of skills, but the ego often gets in the way of teamwork. So like the, the, the departments that have the least amount of ego that can work together And communicate really well in my experience are the ones that are the most effective. And rather than hold your own individual um area as like the priority and putting the player as the priority is the key. So it's if we all have the same goals, um, then you know, we're all all trying to do the same things and often, you know, that's that's not the case and and that's where you know things can be issues. So I think it's you know. It's more about the teamwork behind the team and having, you know, everyone um, in in alignment with what the organisational goals are and, and the players' goals. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Uh, nice. no. I agree with Andy. You know, one thing as far as for myself that I've told myself, it's that if I do return to professional sports, it doesn't really matter what's the name on the jersey. I don't really care the name of the jersey. I'm more interested as far as who are the individuals I'm going to be working with, um, meaning that, you know, we should have the same philosophy, same ideology, and we're working as a team. At the same time, you know, one of the things that I, it's funny that you brought this up because I was talking to some, somebody about this just yesterday about you know when you open up a a puzzle box if you have all the same pieces in that puzzle you're not going to be able to finish that puzzle so it's always great to have different pieces and understanding that hey you know what everybody brings a different element into as part of the team and you got to be able to build that team hey this is my and understand it you know as an individual especially the the direct performance or you're the head trainer hey this is my weakness i need to hire somebody that's going to be able to compliment me that's their weakness i need somebody to compliment or that's their strong strong suit that's not That's not my strong suit I need to bring someone. And yeah, there's sometimes some people, like I said, they might get some, be, they may have some egos that they may not hate. I don't want that person, because that person may may make may, 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 may look me may, may look bad, Top speak. But it's understanding kind of the whole concept, the teamwork.
3: Yeah, no, the, the personality is yeah. big. I mean, and mm-hmm. you, you hit, hit that correctly in Barca too. It's just, that was one of the things with my experience in the World Cup this past uh, November in Qatar was our staff, we kind of prided ourselves Uh, on our ability to set our egos egos aside and, you know, work towards the greater good, you know, we had six uh, former or current, I guess you should say, directors of professional teams or, you know, professional football teams, soccer teams within our staff and or you know, collegiate teams. You know, it it was a very, you know, highly regarded staff in that sense, but we all knew our role, clearly defined roles. We knew what to expect of one another and, you know, great minds, you know, led to really good conversations and former discussions, long discussions, because everybody had their own thoughts, which was okay at that point because of such the the level of that that tournament. But again, you know, typically you're not going to have a bunch of directors or former directors get into one squad and be able to, you know, put their egos aside and just you know not be able to say anything. But we all found that way because it was the personalities. And if you if you took you saw us at out of the bar at some point we'd all just be laughing and joking because that's just who we were you know we could set work aside and just talk about personal life no problem but when it came down to work we knew exactly what we had to do just by the clearly defined roles and understanding that part and putting the egos aside so definitely complementary of each other and you know finding the best way to work with one another was huge that's awesome
0: good
1: point i exceed you
4: no, I think these guys
1: have, any these these guys
5: have a, a wealth of experience, I think, that supersedes mine. So I think they said everything. I don't think I can add anything more to that. All
1: right. Hey, last question I want to talk about, is obviously, uh, you know, uh, it's about technology as well, right? So you guys have had some technology vendors come to you and say, hey, we can prevent injuries, right? Or we can do this and that. And, you know, it's always a backstory, right? And first I've come across some teams telling me that some vendors, and I won't give names, have a tendency to promise a moon, but they just can't deliver on it sometimes. So what have you guys had similar experiences with some vendors? I'm sure you have, right? Mm-hmm.
4: So so one thing that I always ask when I have vendors, and this is kind of what was my rule with them, I would ask them, what's the margin of error on this device? And if their answer was like, there is no error, I'm like, dude, really? <laughs> there's no way. There's no error. You, it, it cannot be hundred percent. So right off the bat, if, if there was like, yeah, there's no error here. I'm like, thank you. There, yeah. There's no point for us to continue, type of thing. Now, if they were honest, hey, you know what? There is a margin error. This is it. Then I understood it, type of thing. But that was kind of like my my initial go to. So right, well, first question: What's margin error? No error. There's no. There's no margin. All right. Thank you very much. See you <laughs> down the road. Yeah.
2: I think <laughs> what what I've experienced is you get um companies that promise you the world just to get the contract and then once they've got the contract they (laughs) they can't deliver or they just you know can't really live up to a bit enough more than they can chew or they do deliver but it's like takes way longer than expected and Mm -hmm. it's often like um you know the the data management system athlete management system type companies that want to please there's a lot of competition they'll try Mm -hmm. and make it as possible for you so they promise the world certain things they can do and then you know they get in and to be honest it's overwhelming because everybody wants to have their own bespoke kind of uh, mm-hmm. part and piece within that system which just gets challenging mm-hmm. for them so but yeah it's um, interesting topic
1: yeah
5: uh
1: they you guys have any experiences
5: yeah. very similar experience i think to everybody else the one thing i've in talking to vendors sort of as as talks progresses trying to you know clearly establish are like uh as Andy said, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone wants their own bespoke. Well, are we paying for a you know our own version that we want to modify or are we paying just to get the basics? We're just going to use it for this. Because if I'm if I'm if we're gonna sign on for something and this is all we're gonna use it for, then that's what I expect. But if we want, if we have plans to upgrade it and improve it and specify it to our own needs, then having kind of an upfront conversation about, look, we're going to have some needs on the back end to build this out. You know, we want some assurances or some call, you know, is this something you guys are capable of? How big is your staff? You know, your, whether it's your coding, your R and D, things like that. If we want to grow this platform within our organization, do you want to work with us on that front? And usually people are, are very upfront, sorry, not, excuse me, not very upfront at the start, Mm -hmm. but when you start to ask more questions and maybe go a, a level deeper into a a manager level or even t- talk to some of the data engineers, you can get a better understanding of, yeah, these guys might actually be able to scale this out and 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 make this into something that we want versus these guys have no idea what I'm talking about. I am going to be just talking to the wall for the next three years with this contract and I got to get out of this now before I can. So yeah. a little bit more of those conversations on the front end have started to serve me a little bit better. But uh-huh. I think you still have a lot of the same they want to get you in the door. They want to get you on the hook. <laughs>
3: yeah 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 well, one of the bigger time, problems go ahead, Julian.
1: I was gonna say sometimes they'll say yeah, we can do it and then uh when it comes to showing you a deal it's way more expensive and it's gonna take way more time to do it
3: yeah, yeah. right and I' was say yeah. one of the bigger issues I think we have all face with you know some of the companies that approach us is maybe they're early or infancy of their you know development and you know they have this grand idea how do they get there and they need the help. And it's just hard for, you know, certain clubs, or organizations to invest in something that's not quite ready. And I know that's always a bigger challenge for some smaller clubs who I worked with in the past. That was one of our biggest things is like the budget wasn't there. So to invest a significant portion into something that might work in a couple of years is very difficult. Even though we may have liked the product, liked the idea, liked the people, you know, but we just couldn't take that risk. And it's often difficult in that sense, but also having companies that approach you who actually understand what you do on a daily basis and go a very long way too. and I think that's the opposite side. It's like when you get a company that's not necessarily promising you the world, but they have a good idea and a grasp of what your daily life is like and how they're going to make it better, that's more of a better sales pitch from that side. So it's not necessarily promising you the world, but that's, I think, on the on the opposite side of your question, Julian, like that's, yep. I think, more much better for us in that sense when people understand what we're looking for and how they can help
1: yeah that's a good very good point yeah uh but look we you know if anybody has any other comments we at the end of the the podcast institute but i want to thank you guys for your time today as always all right
4: thank you thank you guys thank you
0: thank you for listening to access past episodes and other research articles and analysis of sports technology please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.